0: Daniel chapter 10, and um, we're just going to be dealing with this chapter tonight, but we're going to have quite a few cross-references with it. So let's begin by giving you just a little bit of background here. Uh, The key to understanding uh, these last three chapters, so we have 10, 11, and 12 to go through, is found in the explanation the angel gives to Daniel. If you want to look down at verse 14 of chapter 10, it says, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days to come. Like Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, um, the context here is talking about Israel and only Israel. So as we look at chapter 10, uh, Daniel's going to receive a v- this vision in verse 14. And what I would highlight is your people. We're not talking about the church here. And it'll be in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And uh, we're gonna, the veil's going to be pulled back. Uh, We're going to have insight into this invisible war that's taking place. And um, so we need to keep it in context. We do not have the church in view here. Um, We have what is going to be transpiring um, during that time that is yet, uh, I believe, still future to us. So let's look at verse 1, and verse 1 only for starters. It gives us the time of this. It was in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. The third year of Cyrus, we're looking at 534 B.C., which is about four years after the vision of chapter 9. Daniel would have been an old man by this time, uh, probably retired from public office. When it says a thing um, or a message, um, it's actually, I think, referring to... um, um, the way of communication. Uh, he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So here it's interpreted as a message. I think in the King James they call it a thing, which is it would be a reference to um, um, the Lord and his word. So verse two and three, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. And I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine, came into my mouth, and I did not anoint myself, it means it didn't um, probably didn't shave, probably didn't take a shower, didn't take a bath, um, until the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So what we have here is Daniel in fasting mode. The question is, why? If you remember last week, I made the point that the prayer from Daniel 9, verse 3 through 19 takes three minutes and 19 seconds (laughs) for that prayer. And then the angel tells us that he was dispatched as soon as Daniel started to pray, and I sort of said tongue-in-cheek, it takes three minutes and 19 seconds for an angel to get from heaven to planet Earth. Well, my point is this. Daniel is used to having his prayers answered and and nothing was happening here and this is not this is not daniel 's way of experiencing his relationship with the Lord. Uh, the lord respond responded to daniel 's prayer and so we find here that um, he has set aside food and um, anointing himself, or cleaning himself. And this went on for three full weeks. Um, not too many people have fasted longer than that. Of course, the Lord did. Um, when he was first called into the ministry, it tells us that Jesus was tempted by the devil. who's gonna be a big part of our Bible study tonight. And um, that the Lord didn't eat uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil came to him uh, when he was hungry, when his hunger came back. Actually, after after about three or four days, if you fast, you'll notice that your appetite actually does go away. And But it came back after this period of time when the Lord was weak. That's when the enemy um, tempted him again, uh, saying, if you're the son of God, then turn these uh, stones in, into bread. And uh, the Lord rightly said, man cannot live by... Bread right alone. And that's so true. I mean, what satisfies, um, there's only one thing that satisfies the soul. We sing that song, You Satisfy My Soul. And really, being in the Word and uh, having a good Bible study actually satisfies that part of us, that spirit. And we are going to survive and win by which one you serve. And feed the most. If you just feed the flesh, and it could happen. But if if your life is balanced and you have your daily devotions and your fellowship, I think that's one of the biggest things that people missed when when we weren't meeting was like, you could watch online and stuff and and um, but nothing like fellowship. Good place for an amen, and the interaction with other like-minded believers. And we find here that Daniel chose this. Um, remember that the third year of Cyrus's reign, and in his first year, that uh, he made the decree which permitted Israel to return to the land. Two full years had passed, and only a few had returned to the land of Israel under Zerubbabel. It was less than 50,000. Remember last week, when do we get to go home? Daniel 9, verse 1, I was reading and understood by the prophet Jeremiah that 70 years are determined upon Israel and your people. Time's up. Daniel was there from the time he was 17, and he'd been there the whole duration. I'm sure he's marking the calendar off one at a time. And um, that's when Gabriel And I'm going to make an assumption because it was Gabriel in chapter 9 that we're going to see Gabriel in chapter 10. But it's only an assumption. Uh, This is before the group that Ezra um, and the group under Nehemiah had returned. Remember last week we went, we needed a starting point. Uh, It says in verse 25 of 9, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, you have to have a starting point. So remember we went back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Went into the king, he was all sad. King says, what's your problem? You're not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. And he says, well, he made his prayer <laughs> and said to the king. It was one of those quick prayers, instantaneous prayers. I prayed to the Lord and I said to the king, why shouldn't I be bummed out? I mean, I guess just got a report that people are coming back and telling me they're not involved with building the temple. The walls are torn down. And the king finally had enough. And he says, what do you want, Nehemiah? And he says, "Uh, I want your decree. Please put your stamp of ring on it. I want timber for the temple. I want timber for my own home. And he says, okay, you got it. When are you coming back? So he says, I set a date, and I told him when I would come back. Now, this is under... um, uh, Nehemiah's and Ezra's uh, group but 50,000 had gone back but nothing is going on and so it, it brought grief and the reason that Daniel is, uh, is grieving here in verses two and three um, he's, he's prayed, he wants to know um, why his prayer is not been answered it brought grief to his heart of this aged prophet of God Now past 90, to see his people did not want to return to their homeland. They had got caught up into Babylonian lifestyle and living. Probably retired from now active participation in office, evidently having served through the the first year of Cyrus, he gave himself entirely now to the service of God. He fasted for three weeks because he did not get an immediate answer to his prayer. Um... Nothing bad is said about Daniel. Uh, and, and yet he confessed in his prayer when he talked about his own personal sin. It doesn't tell us what it was. It's none of our business anyway. But he, he talked about the sins of his people and his sin too, which reminds us that what? All have sin. No exceptions. Um, there are people that believe that because nothing bad is said that Daniel actually lived the perfect life. Well, you can cut that one down real easily because all all have sinned and fallen, fallen short. So we all fall into that category. But he's upset because he's probably searching his heart and um, saying, Lord, what in the world is going on here? Boy, we could say that over again a couple times, huh? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? And... Um, he's in fasting and he's not going to do anything until he hears from the Lord. Verse 4 Now on the 24th day of the first month I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris now, in a little while we, the Tigris and Euphrates um, both flow from I believe Turkey and through Iran across what we call the Fertile Crescent there And um, we'll be talking about the Euphrates a little bit later. But here in verse 4, he gives the exact place and date when he received his vision and revelation. It was by the Tigris River. The time was the 24th of Nisan, April 24th. Daniel is dealing with exact dates. And because of this, this makes it very difficult for those who are critics of the book of Daniel, saying it had to be written much later because Daniel's way too accurate with um, uh, the unveiling of these prophecies. He's spot on on every one of them, all the kingdoms, and so on and so forth. So for the critic, they have a problem here because verse four actually gives us uh, the 24th day in the first month. I was by the river Tigris. In verse 5 and 6, But I lifted my eyes, and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with a gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and a sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. I personally believe this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It has striking similarities. It shouldn't surprise us that we would find Jesus in a book of Daniel. We found him in the midst of the fiery furnace with Daniel's three friends. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he goes, Hey, I thought we threw three guys in there. I see four and they're loose, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And that's because he was. So we see Jesus already in Daniel, but the similarities here are so striking. Go to Revelation chapter 1. The Lord would refer to himself in the Gospels, sometimes in human forms, uh, or as the son of man. In in Revelation 1, in the first section, oh, let's pick it up in verse twelve. Of course, John is on the island of Patmos. He's there because of the gospel. The Lord appears to him in verse. He um, heard a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, "I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last." What you write in a book and send to the seven churches in Asia to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Cyatyrus, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And John says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like flames of fire. That's how Daniel described it. His feet was like fine brass, also connects, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Exactly the same. And in his right hand he had seven stars, and out of his mouth one a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first, and I am the last. All right, um, let's go back to Daniel 10. Brings us up to verse 7. So I believe 5 and 6 is a reference to Um, to the Lord himself and it says and I Daniel alone saw the vision Uh, for the men who were with me did not see the vision but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves I'm just going to take this one verse and while I'm getting to my notes here I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 9 book of Acts chapter 9 there myself I personally don't think that an ordinary angel or even an archangel could have this kind of effect on these men although others were with Daniel he alone saw the vision it is evident from many recorded instances that only the Holy Spirit can identify Christ for men and that's what he's doing for Daniel the Lord Jesus said he shall glorify me Speaking about the Holy Spirit glorifying him. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That's, if you're taking notes, John chapter 16, verse 14. Now, if you're in Acts chapter 9, Paul had something very, very similar happen to him. Um, this is his conversion. He is on his way, it says in verse 1 breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest, and he wanted um, papers, letters uh, that would he could get into the synagogues of, of Damascus, and uh, he would. This was where be, the first name for the church is called the Way, uh, whether men or women, that he might bind them and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So here's Paul's conversion story. Uh, he's uh, when we go to Israel, we actually. Um, um, the road is still there. Um, as we make our way up towards the top of the Golan, there's this place that we—it's an old uh, army post. You can still go into the bunkers, and some of the machine guns are still up. And uh, on a clear day, you can actually see Damascus from there, and we can actually point out the the road that Paul was on, and. Um, Um, It's quite an experience, just thinking that's where Paul had his conversion experience. And then it said, suddenly, verse 3, a light shone down around him from heaven. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, Paul, it's hard for you to kick a cactus, You're only hurting yourself. So he, trembling and astonished, okay, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and it will be told what you must do. Now verse seven, and the reason we came to this verse. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Daniel saw the vision, the ones that were with him did not. Same thing with Paul. Paul is the only one um, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Uh, Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he could he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. Damascus is in the news quite a bit right now. Um, Let's go back to Daniel ten. And that was verse 7. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. tells us, after this experience, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned into frailty, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Well, apparently, um, uh, Daniel uh, went to unconsciousness. Uh, we don't know how long. Uh, the Lord is going to uh, leave him at this point, I believe. And Daniel, when Daniel regains consciousness, he's found with an angel that had come to minister to him. So as we look at verse is 10 and through 12 then suddenly so I see a departure of the Lord here and the coming um, well I'll tell you right now who I think it is but I can't be dogmatic about it like I can Um, in chapter 9 verse 20 while I was still praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people it says that Gabriel he's called a man here but we know he's not Um, We're going to be talking about the different ranks and authorities that exist in this invisible realm, um, even as I'm speaking right now. Uh, Corinthians clearly tells us that God has given to you a guardian angel um, that have angels who are heirs to salvation. So I like to say from time to time when There's been times where I've wondered where mine has been. (laughs) In certain situations, sleeping on the job or what? And yet, if our eyes could be open tonight, uh, there would be angels here. It says, be careful how you entertain strangers. Some of you may have entertained angels unaware. You didn't even know about it. And um, so we find in... 10 through 12 here, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Well, who would be beloved by who? And the answer is obviously the Father and the Lord. So I believe it is an angel, and I believe it is Gabriel. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Okay, verse 21 of chapter nine. Yes, while I was still speaking in prayer to the man Gabriel, whom I've seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me. O Daniel, I've now come to give you skill to understand. Daniel uh, wants to know what is going to take place to his people Um, as we read in verse four time, at the end of days. And what we find here is that Gabriel, because he's mentioned in other places, uh, that this is who we have in view here. But it doesn't say as clearly as it does in chapter nine. I'm making an assumption. It could have been just another angel. Um, And you can um, do your own homework on that one. To me, the most important verse in this chapter is the next one we're going to read because it pulls the veil back into this realm. And then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, uh, verse 13, but the prince, I was sent right away as soon as he began to pray, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, that's three weeks, angel on assignment, leaves as soon as the prayer is heard, but it's taken three earthly weeks for him to show up. Why? Because we have the prince of the kingdom of Persia who stood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Well, all of a sudden we learned something about the angelic realm, and I'll be taking you well, let me just finish reading the verse first. Uh, but Michael, one of the chief princes, we're going to find out in Jude that he's an archangel of the highest order, came to help me for I had been left alone with the king of Persia. In other words, we have rank and authority and some of these angelic and demonic have different positions of authority. And this one was able to hinder Daniel's prayer request being answered for three full weeks, and Daniel's not used to that. The reason is given to us, and it opens up everything with the questions of of the spirit realm, and probably the best way to answer this is to have you turn to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter six, oh, where's a good place? Let's pick it up in verse 10. Paul talking about the reality of this realm that we're talking about tonight and the reality of real spiritual warfare. Uh, verse 10 of chapter six. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and here's, here's the order of authority, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against a whole spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places, and there, there's where we have the order given to us. Now there's a therefore. Because this realm exists, there's a hierarchy, so to speak, from archangels. um, If I would use military terms here, I would say um, four-star general. Then you have, um, what, uh, captains and sergeants and all the way down to the privates. And you have this hierarchy. Are one any better than the other as far as... um, People are concerned, or as far as God's love for them, not at all. But there's definitely a rank and an order, and some having um, more authority than others. Therefore, because this realm exists, and this is really what we're fighting against, it says, therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. Having girded yourself with truth, well, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is the gospel. And um, uh, the only way that a man can be justified in God's sight is by having this truth. And put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, notice, which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And now we're talking about um, spiritual warfare and standing on faith, standing upon God's word when the warfare comes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is our weaponry when we're talking about dealing with demonic spirits, uh, daily warfare, spiritual warfare. And it's important to have this understanding that's so neglected in the church today, talking about the reality that there's another whole realm that exists and his only desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we're, we're, we're gonna get more into that as we go. But I wanna talk a little about, the. it's interesting that this particular demon was called the Prince of Persia. I find that very interesting because modern day Persia is called Iran. And um, my voice was gone when I got up on Sunday morning because of these crazy allergies. and I knew I wasn't going to be able to be here, so I called Josh right away and just said, pray. I I was telling the guys on Saturday morning at Men's Prayer because I was struggling then. I said, just please pray for Sunday morning because I don't like what's going on on Saturday morning, and I don't, if this is going on on Sunday morning, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think I could do it. And I wasn't able to. Um, but having said that, I think the Lord works all things out to good. I had actually cut out of my notes, because I have a lot of them, <laughs> this whole Prince of Persia thing, because I'm going to be talking about Putin, Turkey, and Iran in Israel on Sunday. And one of the, the things that I cut out, but I'm now gonna put back in, is if I ran is, well, I'll give you a couple teasers. There's been ultimatums that have been made. Even since we met since last time, the rhetoric has heated up. We've taken out more of um, of their weaponry plant just within, I think yesterday, Uh, They took out another one. And by the time Sunday comes, there could be even more tension heating up. And so what I wanted to do is go to Daniel chapter 10 and talk about Persia. And what we're getting into here is something that is biblical. Unfortunately, it's been um, dramatized and people with a little bit of biblical knowledge could be dangerous but this is talking about territorial spirits, okay? You ever hear that terminology, territorial spirits? Well, evidently, um, there are, this is solid ground where we can say, well, you know, Daniel chapter 10 talks about the prince of Persia and that uh, he is a, one of great authority, And we find that Michael the archangel has to get directly involved. Now as soon as I drop the word Michael, now my head runs to Revelation. Because um, I'm going to have you turn to Revelation chapter 12 at this time. Because this is a war that's just heating up. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 7. This is yet future. And it says, and war broke out in heaven... And it says, here's Michael again. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. So we have angel wars going on and who's leading the charge? Michael. In a warrior position. He is the one that was able to overcome the prince of Persia, which is Iran. And It says in verse 8, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them any longer in heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren, who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. What's going on? What's telling us here? It's telling us that uh, um, one of the things that the, the, our enemy is continually doing is accusing you and accusing me before our father. How can you call him a son? How can you let him be a servant? How can you think of such a, a thing? And our defense attorney comes up who's called the Lord Jesus Christ who lives continually to make intercession for us as what? Our high priest who lives forever. And he taps the father on the shoulder and says that's probably true but that's been taken care of. It's all been taken care of at the cross and I remember them no more. And so there's a pattern that we get into when we fall and that is again in First 1 John 1, nine. If, if you sin, and if you confess your sin, then uh, we have an advocate with the Father who will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you have to repent, and you have to acknowledge openly your sin to the Lord, and then he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. A good place for an amen. Too good to be true. And this, again, this comes back to when you know the truth, and I know that truth, and because I know that truth, it can set me free. But if I'm not saved, and um, or I, I'm not, or I don't know the word, and I don't know how to deal with spiritual warfare, well, you got to hold the shield of faith up and take out the sword of the spirit and say, I'm "Not so fast, devil! My Bible says in Romans eight verse one, there is no condemnation, none, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Get out of here, take a hike." And you have the authority. It says, "Resist the devil, and he'll do what?" Yeah, flee. But if you listen to him, what? Condemnation. I've I've told the story a hundred times, but I I can't, every time I say that verse, I think this guy had Bible school. And um, he, we turned it into a joke on him because he was always going around uh, bemoaning the fact of what a wretch he was and and, um, um, we were always talking to him, encouraging him, you know, you gotta let this go. You're just, you're in the dumps all the time. And finally, when he wouldn't pay us any attention, when he would get into the state of mind, we'd go up to him and let's say his name was Johnny. Johnny, let's play condemnation. Today's testings are Johnny here. And, you know, I don't know if he ever got it, but um, uh, we had a pack of guys that would continually, um, anyway we could to get him, get his eyes off himself on the Lord and the word of God. And that truth will set you free. But here it says, heaven is rejoicing because the accuser of the brethren is no longer there. But it says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows he has a short time. How much of a short time? Three and a half years. This is in the middle of the tribulation where Satan is cast out of heaven. And evidently what he does in chapter 13 is he literally possesses um, the Antichrist because it tells us that um, his power, verse four, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And um, so we have in chapter 12, Michael once again fighting angels. Angels turn back to the book right before Revelation which is the book of Jude and in verse 9 we find Michael here in Jude there's only one chapter in Jude it's primarily about the judgment of false teachers and in verse 9 it says yet Michael and now we have his classification the archangel in contending with the devil here he's at it again when he disputed about the body of Moses, that brings up more questions than answers, because God buried Moses. And now who shows up on the spot? Lucifer. And they're arguing, not arguing, um, but Michael shows up there as they disputed about the body of Moses, but he dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, he didn't read him the riot act or anything like that, and I have more power than you. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. And that was that, that's what we're told about here. But it sure is interesting to me, let's go back to Daniel, that Michael, always in warrior form, Gabriel more often in messenger form, we find here, and I'll bring up the question, why would the way be blocked? Why is this angel holding up for three weeks Daniel's prayer? Well, Daniel's going to be given information about the kingdom of Persia and about the kingdom of Greece. We will see that when we get into our next chapters. Satan didn't want that kind of information to get out. It was secret information that he didn't want released to the human family, but God wanted the information to be gotten through to Daniel, and he did. And now, um, this whole realm again opens up. Let's go back to Daniel 10. And this very interesting verse about the prince of the kingdom of Persia um, and the reality, now, I'll, I'll tell you where it can get weird. Here, we can categorically say the Bible teaches there's territorial spirits. Um, you know what? There was one other place I wanted to go. And do I want to go there now? Yeah, I do. Uh, Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation 16, we are again by a river but this time it's the rivers euphrates and this is the sixth bowl and it leads up to the battle of armageddon so let's read verse 12 then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates well that's real close to the tigris and its water was dried up so that the ways of the kings from the east might be prepared And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they were spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth, of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So what we have here is one of the purpose of these demons, who evidently look like frogs, when we get to... Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter 9, will have demons that look like locusts. And they ha- they're going to have a king over them whose name is Apollyon. And um, he's none other than Satan, the king of the, the bottomless pit. Well, these demons look like frogs. And um, they're sent out to stir up uh, the kings of the east, which I believe China is definitely in view here. And then we have this very interesting verse in verse 15. How many of you have red-letter Bibles? Not enough of you, so I'll explain it. There hasn't been any red-letter since the end of chapter three. So we just finished the seven letters to the seven churches. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll know that by the time you get to the last verse of chapter three, All of that's red letters. Chapters two and three are all red letters. And then chapter four, we have, I believe, a picture of the rapture, all black letters. All the way through to the Battle of Armageddon, but now, and correctly so, my Bible goes back to red letters. Why? Well, the red letters were the letters for the seven churches, and my conviction and the um, translator of this particular uh, version um, is addressed back to you and I here tonight when it says, it's sort of a, a pause where it talks about they're bringing, and we'll get into more of this when we get to Daniel chapter 11, where the kings of the east are coming and the, the Euphrates is dried up and then the Lord just, he wants us to stop for a second. He says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment lest he be naked and they see his shame. I believe it's a warning. I believe it's a warning for the church not to go back to your old ways. It's later than we could possibly think. Can I say that again? It's, it's later than I, we possibly think it could be. And uh, we'll be talking quite a bit about that on Sunday. But here the battle of Armageddon is about to take place because the next verse says, and he gathered them together to the place called the Hebrew Armageddon. So we have demons involved stirring the world up, if you will, to bring them to this final conclusion of this, this battle here. Actually, this is also a reference to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? Because um, they're going to make war against God. You're going to make war against God. How dumb is that? It said, he who sits in heaven shall laugh and hold him in derision. And all he has to do is speak. The sword of his mouth. It's all over. It's all over that quick. And, but right before it is this exhortation for you and I. Hang in there. Don't give up. The Lord's coming. We have the blessed hope. And uh, because of that, we're not to faint. Or, or, or the, But the whole idea here is keep your garment. Well, what's my garment? Well, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Good place for an amen. That's my garment. And I don't want to be found naked or out, outside of that covering of his blood in my life. So I thought it interesting that we have demons again involved. Um, Let's go back to Daniel again. And again, Michael the Archangel directly involved with it. All right, 14 through 17. And I believe this is Gabriel. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people, and this is important, the church is not in view here. In the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood by me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained, restrained, retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me, nor any breath is left in me. Um, what we're coming up to as we're getting close to the end of this chapter, this is the key which opens the door to the understanding of the remainder of the book of Daniel there are three main features which characterize uh, this closing vision. Most importantly, this is for thy people. The people means Israel. Number two, it will accomplish and be accomplished in the latter days. Uh, This places the final fulfillment in the period of the 70th week, which was Daniel 9, verse 27 which is a time of the great tribulation. The latter days places it at the end of that period. Yet the vision is for many days. This emphasizes the fact that a long period of time is involved, not only in fulfillment, but also when the vision will be finalized. And we will come to two parts of that vision, the historical. It has been prophetic when it is given, but now has been fulfilled, and that which is yet to be fulfilled. All right, that's 14 through 17. Let's finish up the chapter, and then I'll get a little sidetracked to talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. Verse 18 through 21. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you, be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. Notice this. And when I've gone forth and I'm done with him, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And that is pretty much the end of this. Another angel uh, that represents Greece will come, another satanic principality. The angel who was speaking to Daniel had to get back to the battle that was going on. Clearly that's taught in Revelation 2. That which is uh, noted in the scripture of truth, the angel turns Daniel to the word of God. Uh, Noted means recorded or registered. In other words, Daniel will not hear or see anything that is contradictory to the word of God. Well, one of the things that's controversial over territorial matters is C. Peter Wagner. Are you familiar with the name? C. Peter Wagner actually wrote a book and called Territorial Spirits. He was actually in Appleton, Wisconsin many, many years ago. He came out of Fuller Theological Seminary. That's about as bad as you can get. He was there when John Wimber was there promoting signs and wonders. John Wimber taught on signs and wonders. C. Peter Wagner, what he was known for was um, primarily this book that he wrote called Territorial Spirits. He was here in Appleton and um, the reason I'm bringing it up is because he's the one that took it to an extreme. And he was here and he took out his sword of the spirit and he went to combat downtown Appleton over the territorial spirits over Appleton, Wisconsin. I don't know if any of you were here or around when, when that took place. But it, it, was, a, it was the scamiest sounding thing that that I ever heard, I felt embarrassed to be a Christian with him being around, because Daniel 10 is solid ground. There is a prince of Persia. There are three frogs by the uh, that that'll come out of the um, Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet's mouth, and um, they're going to go stir up and bring these countries into the the Battle of Armageddon. We're on solid ground there. But um, it was such a facade and it was so phony that again, it's one of those things that um, unless you know the word, you'd write it all off, okay? But I can't. I can't read Daniel chapter 10 and tell you there's not a prince of Persia, which happens to be modern day Iran whose number one enemy above all else is the destruction of Israel. Now, who wants to destroy the Jewish people more than anybody else? The devil, of course, but his instruments and his hierarchy and his generals. um, And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's where we're going on Sunday. Um, Turn with me, and let's ask some basic questions with the time I've got left here As we talk about spiritual warfare, um, (laughs) about a month ago I had a gal here. She cornered me after a Sunday morning service. Wanted to know if we had a deliverance ministry here at Calvary Chapel. And I go, "Uh oh, here we go. (laughs) And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she says, you know, do you have a deliverance ministry for people that are demon-possessed? And I said, well, can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Are you referring that a Christian can be possessed by a demon? And she says, well, of course. That's what deliverance ministry is all about. And I said, well, we're going to have a problem here. (laughs) And I explained to her, and I'm going to have you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 at this time, and beg the question, can a born-again believer be possessed by a demonic spirit? And I said to this young lady, I said, I I believe Christians can be oppressed by demons. And my evidence in scripture for that is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the example is Paul himself. We read in verse seven, Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. He had just gotten back from heaven, by the way. That's why he's saying this. It said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And now we have to speculate. What we know for sure is that we're being told here it is clearly demonic. But light and darkness can't dwell together. That's the best way I can explain this. You can't have a room that's totally dark and still have light in it. And, um, you know, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You can be buffeted and hassled and oppressed by demons. Happened to Paul. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Well, Daniel pleaded for three weeks, not just just, uh, three times, and the Lord finally talked to him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, okie-dokie. I don't know if he said okie or not, but... Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. I wish I could say that with all my heart. Oh, great, praise the Lord. More was another spiritual fiery trial with fiery darts flying all over the place. Praise the Lord. Well, Paul said it. What's your point, Dwight? Christians cannot be demon-possessed. They can be oppressed, but they cannot be possessed. And I gently told this girl, I don't know if I've ever done this before, I said, you know what? I don't think you'd be very happy here at Calvary. Why don't you find another church? Oh, she couldn't believe I said that. She went ballistic. And she tried to talk to as many people as she was making her way towards the door to listen to that I actually told her that she probably shouldn't come here. The audacity that I would say such a thing. No, I don't want her here. I don't want that 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 that's an infection that a young baby Christian, and I'm, I'm the sh- shepherd and protector of the flock, I'm not going to let a wacko like that try to tell people that they can be um, born again and they still need a deliverance ministry in their church. That's what she wanted. And of course, if we didn't have one, I'm sure she would have been happy to start one. And that simply wasn't going to happen. So can a Christian be demon-possessed? Absolutely Absolutely not. And having said that, spiritual warfare, if you turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 13, let me show you where it begins with my five minutes left. It begins as soon as you hear the gospel. This is the parable of the sower. And it deals when spiritual warfare begins. I think the devil will pretty much leave you alone as long as you don't start listening to Christians give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he doesn't want you to hear any more than um, the prince of Persia wanted this information to get through to Daniel. Um, Demonic spirits get involved when the gospel is presented and that is as Jesus gives a parable here Uh, Verse 3, he said, Behold, a sower went out to sow seed. Unless you're sowing grass uh, seeds, we don't do it too much these days. And he sowed some that fell by the wayside, and then the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on the stony place where they did not have much earth, but they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of, of earth. So the first two didn't make it. They heard But as far as I can tell, um, they are not saved. But when the sun came up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. This is where we get the verbiage that the Christianese for becoming rooted and grounded. So when you become a Christian, we say, you need to get rooted and grounded so that you can withstand spiritually, you'll be spiritually strong. And then verse seven, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples didn't get it. said, Lord, would you explain what you just said there about the parable of the sower? So if you go down to verse 18, he tells them, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes. Well, who is the wicked one? Well, back here, he's a bird. And, but now Jesus is coming right out and saying, no, the bird is actually the wicked one, and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. We have something, big, fancy theological word that's called expositional constancy. And what that means is this, that if you have a bird being identified in a parable and you have another parable that's given and it talks about bird but Jesus doesn't explain who the bird is, expositional constancy means that if it's a bird in this parable and the meaning is the bird is a wicked one, then it's transferable to the other parable where it's not explained. Now the reason I'm telling you this is the parable of the mustard seed in the same chapter, look at verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it grew, it was greater than the herbs and became a tree. Well, first problem, mustard seeds don't grow into trees. So what we have here is something unnatural happening. But he's explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a mustard seed. It has unusual growth. And then the birds of the air. Now, Jesus doesn't explain what the birds of the air are here, but he does in the parable of the sower. So... The way I interpret this parable of the mustard seed is exactly what's happening in the church today. Unusually huge, large megachurches. Hillsong, for example. Or um, some of these megachurches that are going totally into such weird stuff you wouldn't believe. Um, Bill Johnson and Bethel Church out in California. They just can't, it gets weirder every single week. But it's a phenomenally huge church. Um, we just Somebody sent me a video of them just today or yesterday of them doing a, a skit from Lord of the Rings and it shows them taking the staff of Condor, putting it down and saying, you shall not pass. And look it up, folks, it's there. I mean, that is just how wacky and, and weird it's becoming. Why do you say that? Well, there's birds in the church. This is demonic stuff that's going on, that's taking place. And it can be ever so subtle. Um, Benny Hinn, with his healings, this is all staged. He's been busted by his own relatives. And say, no, these people are all picked out ahead of time. And they draw the line for who can go up and who are the people that don't know what's going on. So it's all a facade. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24 about these days? What will be the signs of your coming? Four times in Matthew 24, be careful. Don't let anybody deceive you. And, and if they're going to the right or to the left, and it's turning into something that's not natural, what's the natural church supposed to look like? Answer, Acts chapter two. A very easy to do. In the apostles' doctrine, Bible study, they were in fellowship um, they were in prayer and they had communion. Those four things. When I, when I say that, I usually like to follow it up by saying, you know what, that's doable. That's doable. I can do that from point A to point B. From the time I get saved and the seed isn't stolen until the time that the Lord says, all right, come on up here. The fullness of the Gentiles is over and I have seven years that I promised to Israel and the clock will tick again and uh but before that, we see birds in the church that that should not that should not be there. Other things have crept in it's grown into something that simply is not natural. Uh, for you gals who have your mustard seed that you're making your mustard out of i don't know, do you make mustard out of mustard seed? I'm not sure <laughs> but it's a plant that only gets this big that much I know for sure, and but it doesn't grow into something other than that well i think getting back to the thorn in the flesh and i think it could be you can have a physical thorn in the flesh some people have physical handicaps i do and it's called if the mold is high i know i'm in for it and the higher the mold physically i have that is my thorn in the flesh i've asked the lord to take it away lots of times and people are always helping and I appreciate that and I know they're praying, don't stop because I want to I do Sunday's message in the worst way. And, um, but I do have that thorn in the flesh and that's just the way that it is. And I say, okay, it makes me weak my voice, Lord, you know that, you know it's, I, I want that. My wife prays for me all the time for that. But here's the good news and I'll leave it on this note. And that is this when we're talking about spiritual warfare. The fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is, the good news, is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And all you have to do is resist him. All you have to do is feed the spirit just as well, let me put it that way, as you feed the flesh. And um, I think you'll be just fine. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight as we deal with the reality of spiritual warfare, and we pray, Lord, this evening, that you would, um, by the power of your spirit, um, like, like Job, Lord, that hedge that you had around him before Satan could get to him, uh, we pray that you'd put that hedge around these families, these dear families at Calvary, those watching live stream. I do pray for Sunday morning, Lord, as, as we get into... Um, this break between the second and third division of the book of Revelation. And I pray that you bless that teaching. And I promise to give you, Lord, all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody sent me a video of them just today or yesterday of them doing a, a skit from Lord of the Rings and it shows them taking the staff of Condor, putting it down. And say, You shall not pass. And look it up, folks, it's there. I mean, that is just how wacky and and weird it's becoming. Why do you say that? Well, there's birds in the church. This is demonic stuff that's going on, that's taking place. And it can be ever so subtle. Um, Benny Hinn with his healings, this is all staged. He's been busted by his own relatives. And say, no, these people are all picked out ahead of time. And they draw the line for who can go up and who are the people that don't know what's going on. So it's all a facade. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24 about these days? What will be the signs of your coming? Four times in Matthew 24, be careful. Don't let anybody deceive you. And, And if they're going to the right or to the left and it's turning into something that's not natural, What's the natural church supposed to look like? Answer, Acts chapter 2. Very easy to do. In the apostles' doctrine, Bible study. They were in fellowship. Um, They were in prayer and they had communion. Those four things. When When I say that, I usually like to follow it up by saying, you know what, that's doable. That's doable. I can do that from point A to point B. From the time I get saved and the seed isn't stolen until the time that the Lord says, all right, come on up here. The fullness of the Gentiles is over and I have seven years that I promise to Israel and the clock will tick again. And, uh, but before that, we see birds in the church that, that, should not, that should not be there. Other things have crept in. It's grown into something that simply is not natural. Uh, for you gals who have your mustard seed that you're making your mustard out of, I don't know. Do you make mustard out of mustard seed? I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's a plant that only gets this big. That much I know for sure. And but it doesn't grow into something other than that. Well, I think getting back to the thorn in the flesh, and I think it could be you could have a physical thorn in the flesh. Some people have physical handicaps i do and it's called if the mold is high i know i'm in for it and the higher the mold physically i have that is my thorn in the flesh i've asked the lord to take it away lots of times and people are always helping and i appreciate that and i know they're praying don't stop because i want to i want to do sunday's message in the worst way and um but I do have that thorn in the flesh and that's just the way that it is. And I say, okay. It makes me weak in my voice, Lord, you know that. You know it's, I, I want that. My wife prays for me all the time for that. But here's the good news and I'll leave it on this note. And that is this when we're talking about spiritual warfare. The fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is, the good news, is greater is he who is in you than he who was in the world. And all you have to do is resist him. All you have to do is feed the spirit just as well, let me put it that way, as you feed the flesh. And um, I think you'll be just fine. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight as we deal with the reality of spiritual warfare. And we pray, Lord, this evening that you would, um, by the power of your spirit, um, like Job, Lord, that hedge that you had around him before Satan could get to him. Uh, we pray that you'd put that hedge around these families, these dear families at Calvary, those watching live stream. I do pray for Sunday morning, Lord, as as we get into um, this break between the second and third division of the book of Revelation. And I pray that you'd bless that teaching. I um, promise to give you, Lord, All the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.